This is an NC Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. Welcome to the NC Baptist Podcast, the podcast designed to engage with ministry leaders around topics that will explore approaches and resources to help us be on mission together. It's because of your generosity that this resource is available. Learn more at ncbaptist.org slash give or contact us at communications at ncbaptist.org. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the NC Baptist Podcast. I'm Todd Unzicker, the Executive Director and Treasurer of your Baptist State Convention in North Carolina. Disciple making. Disciple making. It's the heart of the Great Commission. And if we want to see the gospel carried on after we're gone, y'all, it is crucial that we intentionally and strategically disciple the next generation of disciple makers. My friend Shaq Hardy is one of the speakers for this year's Be Do Tell Summer Youth Week at Fort Caswell. And he has got an amazing story. Listen, he was born in Georgia, a foster kid for the first 10 years of his life, and he surrendered his life to Christ at the age of 17 at a summer youth camp. And the next day, he surrendered to a call to ministry. And at last year's disciple-making conference, Shaq led a breakout session on how to create a system for discipleship in your student ministry. Listen with me today as Shaq shares some helpful tips on how to disciple students at your church. And don't miss this year's disciple-making conference on February 20th in Winston-Salem. I'm going to go ahead and give you guys just real quick uh, one of my philosophy things on student ministry. Look, I do not believe student ministry is a stepping stone. I'm aware that there are a lot of churches that treat student ministry like a stepping stone, and that is to the detriment of their students. It is absolutely to the detriment of your students. Listen to me. If you are at a church, like I know I'm only 29 years old. I'm young. I've not been in ministry for long, but I have seen, I have seen the psychological, uh, the, the emotional hurt and pain, the spiritual hurt that comes from student pastors being in and out. My first church, um, the last senior class that I graduated, they had four different student pastors. The senior class before them had six. The senior class before them had seven. And it, it only gets worse. I was at that church for four and a half years four and a half years. And in the 93, 94 year history of that church, I was the longest standing student pastor. When I went to counseling um, and I talked to my counselor about me and my wife, we were thinking I'd just gotten married. And I said, look, man, I think, I think this is it. Like, I, I think that the Lord is calling us to transition out. When I went and I said that to him, he looked at me. So he's a, he's, he counsels staff at that church. He's, he's on retainer. I don't know. They pay him to counsel us. I don't know. I go for I went for free. He looked at me and he said, Shaq, are you about to become another casualty of this church? And I looked at him and I said to him, I understand why you're saying that, but I do not believe that that's where I'm at. This church gave me my first shot. This church let me preach probably a far more than I needed to preach, but they let me preach a lot. They sharp. They helped me sharpen my skills. This church trusted me with what was the most emotional thing at the church. Everybody loved the student ministry. I mean, I know most churches, it's like the kids ministry. By the way, if you're new in student ministry, uh, buckle up. The kids ministry runs the show. Uh, But 
they gave me my first shot and they taught me, they trained me. Um, they let me spend a lot of money uh, on things that hopefully would work. Some of those things worked. Some of those things didn't work. They let me spend a lot of money on getting training, traveling to go and sit at a table with some. I mean, literally traveling to Texas to go have lunch with a guy for 30 minutes because he could help me. Um, and so will I see myself as a casualty of this church? Absolutely not. Am I hurt? Absolutely, yes. But I believe that the Lord called me here and that the Lord has done, I guess, what he's what he's desired to do with me at this church. Um, and so if you are at your church and you are seeing student ministry as a stepping stone, I need you to change the way you're looking at it. I need you to change the way that you're looking at it. Dr. Aiken, so I'm a Southeastern student. When my first, my he was one of my first professors. First day in class, 8.30 in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning, Dr. Aiken, he looked at us and he said, when you plan to go to a church, if you were going to take a job at a church, you need to plan to die at that church, right? Like unpack your bags. That's what you do. You plan to die at that church. And that's where I was at my last church. And that's why it hurt so much when I had to leave. Uh, and so student ministry is not just a stepping stone. Student ministry is a pivotal ministry. Kids, who, who knows the statistics about students leaving the church? Like if you understand and know the statistics, Freshman year, I mean, middle school, I mean, they're, they're all drug babies, right? Like mom and dad, mostly are dragging them to church. You got some parents that don't do that anymore, uh, a lot more than it used to be. Uh, freshman year, we're good. Sophomore year, there's like a small trickle. Junior year, it's massive. Senior year, it's even bigger. Freshman year in college, the numbers get astronomically higher. That's why having a system of discipleship, this is my philosophy, right? So student ministry is not a stepping stone. Having a system of discipleship in your church that does not depend on your presence is absolutely key. If you can understand that, then you can be at a church for one year, for four and a half years, for, for 38 years, you can be at a church for that long and you can have a healthy and sustainable ministry that when the Lord does call you away, like you can go away in peace, like your hands are clean. You've done what the Lord has called you to do. But if the structure, if the system is highly contingent upon you, then the moment you leave, the entire structure crumbles. And so you have to have a system that is not just contingent on you. The first thing that you got to do in student ministry is you have to remember your role. You have to remember your role. When you're thinking about creating a system and a structure, you have to remember your role. It's not just that you are not Jesus to your students. That's not the only thing. Of course, you're not. Jesus. We all know that we're not Jesus. And if you're trying to be Jesus, you should stop because that's never going to work. But remember that you are not the primary discipler of your students. You might have some outliers. You might have some students that do not have great home lives, whose parents are completely absent, and they look to you as their primary discipler. But even those kids, they are a gift to their parents from God. Their parents might not be stewarding that gift well, but ultimately, those kids, you're not their primary discipler. And that's really good for you to understand, because if you can understand that and you can remember that, then your home where you are the primary discipler will not suffer 
will not be to the detriment of your student ministry. If your home suffers, I mean, one of the requirements of being a pastor in a church, and I know that we're not all pastors, but one of the requirements of being a pastor in a church is that you are taking care of your home. You have to take care of your home. Uh, Husbands, right? Like die for your wife. Like wives submit to your husbands. Ultimately, husbands and wives submit to each other. Our first ministry is in our home, period. It's in your home, period. I have a family. I have four or five families. And look, I'm at, a, I'm at Biltmore Church in Asheville. It is a very large church. Um, I don't know. On a Sunday, I could have like 90 kids or I could have like 200 or 300 kids. I have no idea what each Sunday is going to be like. We're trying to track attendance and we're trying to track those numbers. Uh, but I have like four or five families right now that are so upset that I do not do events every Saturday. This was... Uh, They didn't tell me this. Um, I'm meeting with these parents soon to talk about this. But uh, essentially, when they told one of the other pastors this, uh, that they were upset about this, he looked at him and he said, when is he going to spend time with their wife, with his wife? And they said, we don't care. This is his job. Right. Like that's student ministry. Now, these parents, these are parents that I love and they're emotional in the moment like this. This wasn't a shining moment for them. I don't look at them and think to myself like, oh, those are really horrible people. I think that they really care about their kids and they really want me to have fun with their kids. But here's the deal. I will not. I will not have fun with someone else's kids to the detriment of my wife. I will not. My wife will not grow up or or grow to resent the church. My kids will not grow up to resent the church. My dog will not grow up to resent the church. I'm going to take care of my family. Deuteronomy 529, it says, if only they had such a heart to fear me and keep all my commands always so that they had, so that they and their children would prosper forever. That's Deuteronomy 529. Look, in the Old Testament, this was the truth. In the New Testament, this is still the truth. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You are not your student's primary discipler. You are not their primary discipler. You are not their primary discipler. Their parents are. Student ministry exists to serve parents by coming alongside them to help them disciple their students. So as you are thinking and processing how to create or even just how to better uh, sure up the structure and the foundation of the student ministry that you're leading uh, or are a part of, that's one of the first things that you need to remember. Look, you ain't Jesus. I feel like that's obvious. We don't really need to say that. But you are also you are not their primary discipler. Their parents are. All right. So where do we start? Where do we start? Like if we are at the bottom, we're trying to figure out where to start. The first thing that we have to do is we have to define the destination, define the destination. Um, When I'm talking about the destination, like what is our mission statement? So where where are we headed? Our mission statement tells us exactly where we're headed. There are two things that I believe this is Shaq's philosophy. This is not Bible. But there are two things that I believe a mission statement has to have. Number one, the great commandment. And number two, the great commission. I believe that mission statements have to include those two things. Um, So the great uh, the great commandment. Uh, and he said to them, this is from Matthew verse, uh, Matthew chapter 22. He said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. There's got to be an element of mission in where you're headed. If there is no mission where you're headed, I'm going to say this. It might be unpopular, but the spirit will not be there. 
The spirit is on mission. Yeah, the spirit's in you. Of course, the spirit's in you. But the spirit is in you to advance the kingdom of God, not to advance the kingdom of Shaq, right? And so mission has to be included in your mission statement. Mission statement. Wow. Great commission. Great. Uh, that was, uh, that's, yeah, the great commandment. Great commission. Jesus came near and he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So you have mission. Uh, and then obviously the greatest commandment is love. Right. So love. This is what love is. Love agape. It's the same Greek word that Jesus uh, uses in John three sixteen. It's the same exact Greek word. It's the word agape. Agape is a love that is not contingent on how we feel. It's not. I promise you, Jesus wasn't like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to go to the cross. Like that wasn't Jesus. He was in the garden and he was like, Father, please remove this cup from me. Like he wasn't feeling it, but Jesus took action anyway. Uh, Agape, the kind of love that Jesus calls us to love one another and to love him with is a love that is not contingent on feeling. You need that in your mission statement and you need mission. Uh, uh, an important principle to always remember with your mission statement. If your church has a mission statement, which I've never seen a church that does not, your mission statement should align with your church's mission statement. It should align with your church's mission statement. So uh, my last church, our mission statement was we exist to see people who are far from God become committed relation, uh, become committed followers of Jesus Christ. So I made the student ministry's mission statement. We exist to see students who are far from God become committed followers of Jesus Christ. Now, your mission statement does not have to be a mirror of your church's mission statement, but your mission statement should at the very least define your role in your church's mission. If your mission statement does not at the very least define your role in the church's mission, then what you might be doing might look more like a, uh, a parachurch organization that is functioning with and supported by your church. And so your mission statement, it can either be a mirror. I'm going to be honest. I like the mirror because the work is already done. <laughs> like it's already done. And if you come to your pastor and you're like, hey, I just got this new mission statement for the student ministry and I want you to approve it. And I need you to know, like I worked really hard on this and you show them a mission statement that is a mirror of his. Oh my goodness. I ain't trying to teach you how to play politics, but that's how you play the game right there. Um, so it doesn't have to be the exact same, but it should at least define your role in the church's mission. Um, all right. So then another question that you want to ask is what is your church doing that you can already join? Um, look, don't create more work for yourself. As a student pastor, I mean, I, how many of you guys, let's just say in the past, let's, okay, it's, it's a new year. So since the year started, how many of you guys have been to at least one student's home? Like you've gotten a call from a parent, you've had an emergency. Um, how many of you guys have been to at least two? Three, four, <laughs> right? Like it's a thing. And we have some seasons, some seasons are far worse than others. Uh, and we have some seasons where it's like, man, I feel, really feel like this student ministry doesn't need me at all, right? That, that's a really good season to be in. You get to go hiking or, I don't know, have date now. I don't know what you, what you do, but whatever it is you do, you get to go have some fun uh, when, when things are kind of going well. I'm going to be honest, though, anytime things are going well and things are quiet, I'm like, all right, Lord, where's the storm? It's a terrible way to look at it, but I'm a very pessimistic view on life, and it's terrible. So what is your church doing that you can already join in on? Small groups. At our church, at Biltmore Church, we call them connect groups. So we have connect groups. 
on Wednesday nights uh, and we do community groups on Sunday mornings. Uh, so small groups, discipleship groups. Does your church have some kind of discipleship group structure? And listen to me. If you decide to start discipleship groups, you have to define what a discipleship group is. If you don't, there will be confusion. And that and in that confusion, you're going to be frustrated because your frustration is going to be that's not discipleship. Define what a discipleship group is to your people if you're going to start discipleship groups. And if you have them and they're not defined, you should define them. Um, is there a men's ministry that your church has? Our church has something called David's Men. Um, so is there a, ministry, a men's ministry that your church has that it's possible for, for you to maybe get one of the men that's leading that to help you create something for your guy students? Is there a women's ministry that your, your girls can either participate in or the, the, whoever's leading that ministry can help you create something that is like that? Don't don't I mean, you don't. you can if you're a guy that just likes to create stuff, if you're a lady that likes to just create stuff like you can do that if you want to. But like I'm the kind of person I just I don't like to work more than I have to. I really don't like to work more than I have to. Um, so what is your church doing that you can already join in on? Um, here's another thing. You have to assess where your students are. Assess where your students are. So the church that I left um, after four and a half years. So we moved from, I mean, I was just like kind of preaching whatever I was studying. And, uh, you know, at one point in time, that was Romans. That was also in my first year there as a 24 year old. And nobody told me that was dumb. Uh, and it was not super great. And what we did because of where our students were, our students were not at a place to just sit and listen to a bunch of theology. And so what we did is we changed the name of our Wednesday night services to Journey. Uh, this was a part of a whole kind of like rebrand thing. We changed our student logo and we met our students where they were. And what we did was instead of coming out of letters, we started teaching stories. And when we started teaching stories, all of those big truths that you find in those New Testament letters, you find them in those stories, but they're illustrated. After about two and a half, three years, we went from only teaching stories to going through Colossians. Like we went through the book of Colossians and I talk about I talked about the Gnostics and how they came in and, and the things that they were doing. And then right after we went through the book of Colossians, I jumped back into a few stories and then I jumped into the book of Philippians. And that was that was actually the last sermon series that I did as a student pastor at my last church. So we jumped into the book of Philippians and it was very, very well received. Like it was super well received. I was even able to preach for like 45 minutes without getting a single complaint. I don't suggest that. Uh, I don't suggest that, but I was able to do that. Um, and so, you know, assess where your students are and meet them there. Meet your students there. If your students, look, one of the things that we do in student ministry, and if you do this, I'm not like coming down on you. I do this too. One of the things that we do is we teach our leaders, hey, look, you guys, you need to have conversations. These groups are not supposed to be just you teaching. These are supposed to be conversations. If you tell your leaders that groups are supposed to be conversations and the students aren't talking in their groups, you know what that probably means? It could mean that you have a very shy group, but it could also mean that your students are not at a point where they can have a conversation about the gospel and you need to teach them. And so if you need to teach your students, don't be afraid to teach your students. I had, I had all, <laughs> dear Lord, help me. I had all of the high school guys this past Wednesday night and I even prayed. Don't ever pray this. I pray, Lord, please let one of my leaders be out so that I can lead a group. And the Lord said, here's all of them. Um, 
it was uh, it was a very large group and it, they were very talkative uh but one of the kids piped up and he raised his hand and he asked the question he said shack this was a part of the lesson he said shack how in the world is it that we can be sinners and know that jesus still forgives us now of course i'm in a room full of guys the issue of pornography comes up as we're talking about sin and as we're ta- whatever and I, and I told him i said look guys all you guys can see right now the only sin that you can see if you are if you are just like in a headlong battle or fight with pornography that is the only thing that you can see because it is it is such a saturating sin i mean the bible says it is done against the body but that is not the only sin and i, I proceeded to tell them the story of barabbas i use the story of barabbas to show them how they can be forgiven look Jesus, like in Barabbas's final hour, Jesus shows up and Jesus takes his place. And when Jesus took his place, Barabbas was set free. Look, no matter what happens at that point, like even the United States Constitution has this. When it comes to us being forgiven of sin, once we have received what Jesus has done in our place, like double jeopardy, that God is a just God. He's not going to charge us for what we've done. Even the United States. Look, the reason why we have the laws that we have, if you are, if you're tried for a crime and you are seen as not guilty, even if there is evidence that comes out that shows that you are guilty later on, you still can't be charged for that crime. It's the same thing with your sin. Like something that I think most of us would think is a very elementary principle of the gospel. I've been at this church for seven months. My students don't know. And they don't understand. And so because of that, I come down to their level. And even though we're going through Galatians right now, uh, I come down to their level. I find a story in scripture and I teach them these big concepts like propitiation. I teach them these big concepts by showing them a story from the Bible. So assess where they are, meet them where they are. Um, The next thing I've already said this, but create a structure that doesn't depend on your presence. So if you want the student ministry to have longevity, uh, longevity and consistency, um, then you have to create a structure that does not revolve around you. So the questions that you need to be asking are questions like, what can I pass off um, to my leaders? What can I pass off to my parents? Um, What can I pass off to my students? Look, Every single thing that you pass off, and you got to be careful with how much investment you're asking people to give. I'll tell you right now, when I got married, uh, we were, I was doing a lot of investing on Robinhood. And um, so my wife, um, bless her heart, she was broke before we got married. I, like she was so broke that I put her on my account before, uh, before we were even engaged. I'm just like, I hate that you are always stressing about money, even though I was already paying some of her bills. I hate that you're always stressing about money. I'm going to put you on my account. But she saw was Shaq is investing a lot of money on Robinhood. Like she just saw that and she's just like, what happens if we lose all that money? Well, this is just what I do. And she's like, well, not anymore. (laughs) And so I had to pull all that money away. I was investing too much. And because I was investing too much, like it was more than my wife can handle. So I had to pull back. Now we're kind of going back in there, but I've kind of had to lead her to that place. It's the same thing with your students and your parents and your leaders. If you ask them to invest too much on the front end, you might lose them completely. And so, again, with assessing where your students are, assess where your student ministry is and create a structure that doesn't revolve around you and start to pass things off. If there is something that you are doing that somebody else can do, give it to them. Here's a great example. Baptisms. Baptisms is a very easy thing. It's a very, very easy thing. Y'all, I can't, 
I have not baptized a student during a church service probably in two years. I vehemently fight against baptizing students. Instead, what I do is I push students to their parents first, and then I push them to leaders, the people that are spending the most time with them. That's where I push them. A baptism is really, look, if you're a student leader at your church, you get to do all the cool stuff anyway. If you let them do a baptism, that is a very, very low risk thing, unless they, you know, hold them down there, you know, teach them what to do, show them how to do it. Like, don't just give it to them, but like teach them how to do it. But it's a very low risk thing that has a very, very high return for you. The more you are able to get your parents, your leaders and your students to invest into the ministry, the more they're going to be. Um, what's the word? The more they're going to be bought in. Um, so you're going to get a higher commitment out of them. So what can you ask your leaders to do? What can you ask your parents to do? What can you ask your students to do? Um, what can you ask them to do? And then the last thing that I'll mention, I am on time. Look at that. I got three minutes. The last thing that I'll mention is preaching and teaching. So, by the way, I know that there are a lot of holes in this. We've not really talked about leaders a whole lot. Uh, look, if you if you are not recruiting leaders constantly in your ministry, um, Look, even if you already have more leaders than you need, then you got to create a pipeline. If you're at a point where you have enough leaders, then create a pipeline like, man, this leader is going to be here for welcome team. These people I need. Let me get some people here to help pass out snacks whenever students show up. Let me get some people here to help set up and to help tear down. The more people you can get involved when you have people roll off, you can just be like, hey, you've been really faithful. I really appreciate your work. Would you mind? I see the Lord working in you. Would you mind stepping in um, to a, a small group leader role or, or whatever other role you might have? Um, so when it comes to preaching and teaching, these are just the three things, the three things that I would say every last one of your sermons needs to point to. Every sermon points to the gospel of Jesus. Listen to me. If all we do in student ministry is beat our students over the head with sin, we do not make the gospel beautiful. If all you do is focus on sin, you will miss your savior. So we felt like we every single sermon points to the gospel of Jesus. Now, look, I got some sermons. Uh, I have a sermon on uh, Genesis chapter three. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I actually have a podcast now, too. In the first season of the podcast, it's like all sin. But the point of it is to get us to Jesus. I have some sermons that talk a lot about sin. And and when I read them myself, like it's hard for me to read them because I know how much of a sinner I am. It is okay. I'm not saying that it's not okay for you to have like some focus on just like the destructive nature of sin. But when you do that, like you have to also create an equal opportunity, an equal space for the gospel to shine through. Otherwise, Christianity is just going to seem like an oppressive religion because sin is it's so destructive and it's so pervasive. And it, I mean, it permeates the things that our students are dealing with right now. Like it just it permeates every part of you. So every single sermon has to point to the gospel of Jesus. Every sermon. Number two, every sermon has to point to the mission of Jesus. Again, if you are not there or if you are not sending your students there, the spirit is not there. The spirit is on mission. So be on mission. And look, we're doing who's your one at our church. Again, I don't like to create new stuff. They weren't doing who's your one before I got there. I pushed who's your one at almost every student staff meeting until they said we're doing it. Until they said we're doing it. Because if we don't do something like who's your one, then I'm going to have to create something for my kids. And I, in, in which my kids, I'm not really pushing them super hard to mission yet. We're asking them, who's your one? Who's your one? Invite them here. That's, that's 
the simple level of investment that I think that they're ready for. Who's your one? Invite them here. Like we will help them get to the gospel. Eventually, it's going to be a whole lot more than that. But that's that's the level of investment that I believe I can ask for them right now um, um, in order for them to not, you know, feel awful every time I ask them who's your one. Because we ask them like, hey, who's your one? How have you been praying for them? How, how are you serving them right now? Uh, so every sermon points to the mission of Jesus because you want to send your students where the spirit of God is. All right. Um, and then the last one is every sermon points to the call of Jesus. This is one that we miss a lot. Uh, how many of you guys have been a part of, uh, Clayton and Shane Pruitt's, uh, what is that thing called? Youth yeah. Youth pastor coaching network. How many of you guys have been a part of that? It's new. Look, if you haven't been a part of it, uh, I hope it's okay, but I'm going to promote this. I'm going to promote the mess out of this. And I, I'm going to figure out where to send y'all before we leave. Before we leave this room, I'm going to be on here. I'm going to be listening, but I'm going to figure out where to send y'all for that. If you've, not, if you've not been a part of that, it's super helpful, not just for ministry, but also for life. Um, it's very, very helpful. I mean, you can attest, right? It's, it's amazing. There's a few other guys here that have been a part of that. Uh, and so um, anyway, number three is the call of Jesus. Every sermon points to the call of Jesus. So when we're talking about the call of Jesus, we're talking Ephesians 2.10. For we are a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. We were not created to sit. David Platt, I think I love his quote, right? Like the gospel came to you on its way to someone else. We were not recreated in Christ to sit. We were recreated in Christ to work. But the work that we have is good work. And so we point our students to that work. And the amazing thing about the work that we have is we're not the ones that create it. God created it before the ages ever began. And he created us for that work. Our job in that passage, all you see is walk. That we should walk in there. That's all we do. Are you looking for a youth camp at the beach that includes powerful worship, great speakers, hands-on mission experience, intentional discipleship for students, and youth ministry training for adults? Join us for one of B. Dutel's Summer Youth Weeks at Fort Caswell this summer. Bring your group of rising 7th through 12th graders. This summer, our theme is Fortress. We'll discuss God's gift of standing firm in His power and our responsibility to put on the full armor of God. Learn more and register at bedutel.com. I am so thankful for how NC Baptists are discipling students across the state and developing leaders. Through your youth ministry and Be Do Tell conferences and our conference centers, our camps from the mountains to the coast, God is using NC Baptists to make disciples who are on mission together for Him. We want to partner with your church to make disciples making disciples and doing that in student ministry. And you can learn more at ncbaptist.org forward slash youth and I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today. Because of your generosity to NC Baptist, this podcast, along with other helpful resources, are made available for you. Learn more by visiting ncbaptist.org slash give.